0: Welcome to Profit's Healthcare Transformers Podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Hosted by Priya Anasia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgi. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's to your overall operating model. And other times it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It's a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in?
1: Hello, my name is Lindsay Mosby, and today I have the delightful opportunity to speak with Shoshana Ungerleiter. Shoshana, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be
1: with you. Well, I've got all sorts of questions for you, but perhaps we start with just the the briefest of top-line introductions. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what part of the healthcare industry you occupy? Absolutely.
2: Well, I'm an internist by training and worked for many years as a hospital-based physician. Most recently, joined the, the team at Crossover Health to do primary care, largely in a telehealth role. I'm the founder of endwellproject.org, and we're a nonprofit media platform and annual convening focused on transforming the end of life into a human centered experience. And I'm also the host of the TED Health podcast.
1: I'd love to really kind of have you expand on on that background. So if you would, do you mind sharing what brought you to medicine and then maybe specifically to the creation of Endwell itself?
2: Yeah. So I was one of those people that in in undergraduate in college, I had like 10 different majors. I could not decide what I wanted to do. I loved everything. I did Spanish, women's studies, marine biology, outdoor education, fine arts. I mean, you name it, I tried it. And I really found myself at the end of actually more than four years of, of college, kind of wondering, gosh, where am I going to land? And uh, I finished college with not a lot of direction on that. I thought maybe I wanted to go into healthcare. Because I really wanted to help people that was important to me and to be of service, but I didn't know how that would play out. And I spent about three years after college out in North Carolina, actually, at Duke Integrative Medicine. And uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Tracy Gaudette, took me on and said, hey, come out here for the summer. See if you like shadowing me in, in my clinic. And I really did. I loved it. And she, as a non-traditional medical student herself, years back, told me that it's okay to not know what you want to do and and go back and and take the required pre-med coursework. And so that's what I did. I did some research. I did my required science courses and then applied to med school. And I got interested in the world of of palliative care my intern year, my, my first year of residency, in San Francisco, and I was taking care of a lot of very, very sick people in the intensive care unit and realized that our default approach in medicine of do everything and treat patients extremely aggressively, no matter how old they are, no matter how sick they are, and sometimes even if it won't help them at the end of the day, it didn't really sit well with me. Certainly, I'm a big fan of saving people's lives and curing disease when we can, but it doesn't make sense to do that for everyone, and not everyone wants that. If they understand what it looks like, and through that experience, really got interested in you know how can we make sure that all clinicians are trained in, in palliative care fundamentals? How can we make sure that our patients are empowered with the right information at the right time, so that they can best advocate for themselves and and their families? And then you know how do we start thinking about this as a larger cultural conversation about? seeing the end of life really as a part of life and infusing these conversations about mortality more often throughout life. I'd
1: love to kind of keep on this thread for a moment or two. You've been doing it for a a while now, or, or, you know, and well, has had a number of iterations, uh, at least from a conference standpoint. Do you have some high point moments where you feel like, it did what you wanted it originally to do or it brought about the conversations or the connections that you hoped for
2: anything that stands out? Well, it's funny because in the beginning, we sort of didn't know if anybody would show up to a conference where we invited designers and tech folks and entrepreneurs and funders and doctors and social workers and lawyers and chaplains. I mean, you name it. And that's the audience of Endwell. We, we sort of really span the gamut and, That first year in 2017, we sold out three months in advance and had hundreds of people on our waiting list to attend. So that was certainly a high point for me, realizing that there was a there there. And so many people were inspired and excited to be there. And we really started creating this beautiful community, both in person at the the event and then online when we would share content after the events and in between conferences convene people virtually or have smaller events and i think you know the beauty of the endwell movement really is that we approach the end of life conversation in a very expansive way right i believe strongly that dying is not a medical issue even though i'm a doctor it's a human one you know we look at living and dying as a process of the body of the mind spirit our community thinking about science, but also about art and the sorrow and the joy that can come in these tricky moments in life and everything in between. And so we are unique in that we not only have physicians and scientists on stage, nurses and social workers, but we also have celebrities and everyday heroes. And our goal is really to share a broad range of experiences in everyday language to take to remove this from the medical realm not to say that doctors and nurses and and those in healthcare aren't part of the conversation of course they are but this is part of again you know the the human experience and so for me another really really high point was getting to interview Tim McGraw the very famous country music singer one of one of my favorites on stage and just to hear his story of being a caregiver, of experiencing palliative care and how powerful it was for him and his family. And it just shows you that we're all part of this very human experience. How might these conversations actually unite us and bring us closer together in society? And I think COVID has made that all the more clear that illness and suffering crosses all lines of socioeconomic status, of ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And so it was a very kind of grounding moment for me. And certainly, you know, even since 2019, we've gotten to work with incredible people, patients who've survived a terminal illness and they're five years beyond their life expectancy. Researchers doing cutting edge work, you know, in the field of of neuroscience, Taraji P Henson, a famous famous actress, who started a movement around bringing access to to mental health services for for people of color. It's been an incredible journey so far, and I think it's only just starting.
1: It really has, yeah. Your guest list is just incredible. I hope people will uh, take this podcast as an opportunity to go check out some of the content because it it really is just stunning and, and really helps you think. And to your point, I think gives us a almost a sort of a, a safe space to have really really complicated. And, and emotionally charged conversations for sure. Okay. So of course, this podcast is about the transformation of healthcare, right? We're all very aware that while there are parts of healthcare that are incredible and and we do incredible things, there are also, we have some work to do to really get healthcare, at least in the United States, working the way that we want it to. So one of the fundamental things that we are trying to do in healthcare is create better outcomes for people and, and for clinicians as well. How might transforming the way we treat end of life, create better outcomes?
2: Yeah, that's a great question and such an important one. I think there's a few ways to address this. And, you know, to me, it goes beyond care at end of life. I think we need to see care for people and their families who are facing a serious illness, maybe a terminal illness, truly as a priority and think about this years upstream from the end of their lives right and so the field of of palliative care which as you well know you know is a team-based approach to medical care that really focuses on quality of life for patients and their families who are facing a terminal illness and can be used alongside curative treatment ideally again years upstream from the end of life usually the the team is comprised of of a nurse a social worker a doctor a chaplain, sometimes a pharmacist, and maybe others. And I think it's important to point out for folks that you know hospice, which is care for people who are reasonably within the last six months of their life that focuses on comfort, is a type of palliative care. But they're not the same thing, right? And so I think making that distinction is really, really important. But I think when we talk about palliative care, right, we know the majority of people who have a serious illness, they're not actually dying actively or hospitalized. These people are are out in the community doing their thing, living their lives. So palliative care, from my perspective, needs to be available in all settings, outside hospitals, in in offices and clinics, in long-term care facilities, in patients' homes, ideally. It should be widely available because it's just good care and it allows people to get the care that they want and actually, to getting to your point, the evidence is quite clear. So palliative care has been proven to improve quality of life for patients and their families and also quality outcomes for healthcare organizations. And it consistently reduces the cost of care because by definition, right, it focuses it focuses on the highest need and highest cost patients. So it's really, really an essential strategy when we think about population health management, Certainly, I can tell you loads of, of data in terms of reducing avoidable spending and utilization for inpatients, for outpatients, skilled nursing, home-based care. I mean, you name it. And all of those targets, You know, we're, we're talking about reducing cost, increasing quality, quality of care. And then honestly, I, I can tell you that when patients and their families are happy and satisfied with the care that they're getting, it's care that's in line with their goals and values. Doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers are happy too because we feel like we're providing the best possible care.
1: Where are you seeing maybe new methods or are there new innovations out there that that you see are, that are beginning to really kind of help bring more tools and more methods or resources to clinician is that also clinicians is that something that help that endwell is also sort of focused on?
2: Well, what we like to do at Endwell is really highlight the best of out there and not be the ones training clinicians, but really highlight or raise up the voices of people who are doing incredible work on the ground, but maybe aren't getting the attention that they deserve, or just we just give them a boost. So, you know, one thing I talk about a whole lot, right, from the perspective of caring for people who are seriously ill, you know, we do a terrible job in medicine of training clinicians in how to talk to patients, right? There's data or surveys out there showing that around 70% of physicians were never trained in how to break bad news to somebody. And so, you know, from my perspective, we really need to treat communication skills training like a surgical procedure, where if you're becoming a general surgeon, say, you spend years and years and years, you do thousands of procedures to get it right, Make sure your your fingers are moving in the right way. They're, it's connected with your brain. You can you know move the, the needle around. You know in in terms of thinking about communication skills, it's maybe not quite as challenging as as removing a gallbladder, but it takes time to learn the nuances of these discussions. And even if you're a pro at it, it's always you know always new issues come up and to be you know curious about people and to connect on a very human level i think is is so critical
1: we are talking about a really complex and emotionally charged part of of our healthcare experiences if you could wave a magic wand what would you ask for to help you and and others who are doing the type of work that you're in what do you need to really bring real transformation to the system?
2: Yeah, you know, I I wanna build on, you know, something that you, you had just mentioned, and I I would say that. Things in terms of of training clinicians and communication skills, which I actually think is a should be a top top priority in terms of you know transforming healthcare. You know they're doing a little bit of it. You know they 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 have medical students do a couple of courses or you know a couple of days of their very packed medical training on communication skills, but we need to be doing more and keep revisiting it as our patients get more complex, as nuances come up and really provide more mentorship and ability for people, as you said, to to practice. And, you know, at its core, the practice of medicine, at least in this country and in most Western countries, is focused on doing things to people. We have... Very advanced and wonderful medical technology. We have incredible antibiotics. We have vaccines. We have tools to be able to save lives. And that's really only been in recent history. And if you think about this from a historical perspective, we can even go back to the 1800s. You know, we didn't have the ability to treat disease. Deaths, you know, happened suddenly, often just days after someone became ill. Infectious diseases like smallpox and cholera were the predominant ways people died. The average life expectancy was around 50, right? So back then, most deaths happened in people's homes. And the care that people got was from their family rather than, of course, healthcare providers. So in essence, you know, death was quicker. People died, you know, in a more familiar environment. And it was kind of more normal and expected, as a part of life. Children witnessed it, right? And then it was after the civil war and and nursing as a profession got to, you know, evolve and there was an increase in the building of hospitals, fewer people died at home. Care of course moved out of the home and more into the hospital. And then of course in the 1900s, right, medicine started to make these really incredible advances and we started being able to cure disease. You know, as I said, with antibiotics and technologies evolving, The main causes of death that had been infection and and communicable diseases were placed by more chronic illnesses like heart disease and stroke and even cancer. And, And isn't that wonderful, right? But what we're now experiencing is that society has really lost their understanding of seeing death as a part of life. We don't have the language to talk about it or the sensibility maybe. It's it's hidden away. We just don't think about it that often or talk about it. And we certainly aren't planning for it nearly enough. And then you couple that with the fact that our medical system is really set up to avoid death at all cost. And for many people, this means suffering and pain that is avoidable. So I think transforming the healthcare system and how we treat people throughout life, and most certainly at the end, means talking about prognosis with patients who are terminally ill. It means investing in palliative care more heavily, training all clinicians in how to broach these these challenging topics with nuance and with patience and curiosity, and really incentivizing those conversations, right? And realizing that we have a wonderful opportunity and maybe even an obligation in medicine to allow people to live as fully as possible until they die. But we have to be talking about it.
1: I love that. If that is sort of the vision and the mission in this piece, I'd love to have you dig a little bit into how might this kind of transformation, if we do this, if we move into a much more open and proactive approach to the end of life, how might that impact the fundamental business model of healthcare.
2: Well, it's a great question and an important one. You know, I'm not a healthcare economist, so I probably am not as qualified as maybe somebody else to speak to the nuts and bolts of it. You know, what I w- what I would say is, you know, we all know, all of us in healthcare know that there are perverse incentives at play, right? So, we're paid in medicine to do things to people. We don't think about it in that context necessarily. But in terms of how medicine in this day and age is taught, it's we're all about you know, providing treatment, curing disease, offering interventions. And again, that is fantastic for many, many people, but maybe not for everyone. And so we have a very hard time thinking high level about not just you know, this is this person's labs and their vitals in front of me, Here's the illness we're trying to treat. We, we have a very hard time taking a big step back and seeing the bigger picture of like, if time is short for this person, how do they want to spend their time? Is it in this hospital being treated? Maybe, but maybe not. And what does a good day for them look like outside of being here in front of me in this clinic or in this hospital? And so, you know, I think that we have to, think differently about patient care, really treating our patients as human beings and asking them questions like, what are your goals right now for living your best possible life, however long that is? And how can I provide care that gets you there? You know, how can I tailor whatever treatment or intervention that I may recommend, you know, to get you to where you want to be? And we really don't think of medicine very often in that way. Um, We certainly spend a whole lot of money for people who are in the last three to six months of their lives. And for some of them, you know, it's really not care that they want and they don't understand. And we don't take any time to sit down and talk about that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like what I hear you saying, it's almost as though palliative care in particular can be a part of medicine where you are really focusing on the focusing on the value of the care that is given over the volume of the care that is given. It's not about doing everything. It's about doing the right things. And, and I think what I hear you also saying is that it needs to be in such tight synchronicity with what that person and probably their family really wants. Because I can imagine refusing care is also something that we don't tend to think a lot about in this country. It's, it's more like, well, do everything you can. I can imagine that that is a, a significant shift, though, in the sort of the way clinicians are, are taught from the beginning, a lot of rewiring that would have to go on in the world of, you know, <laughs> how do people do medicine, as it were. I think maybe the last thing that I would love to dig into just a little bit is I see that you and your team are really increasingly diving into film and to video, to bring the end well message, to really put it into public discourse. What is that? Why has that become kind of a new channel for you? No pun intended. Is that video or film arena providing something that the conference does not for you?
2: Well, I think early on, I realized the power of media in storytelling. And so got involved with two Netflix documentaries about end of life. And really with the goal of... Educating the public, creating awareness around what it's like to have everything done, right, in an intensive care unit. Because when most people find out what everything means, they kind of take a step back and say, ooh. I'm not sure I would want all that. Or I don't know if my mom would really want that intervention, you know? And so unless you work in healthcare or have had that unfortunate experience of, of being with a loved one on that journey, you don't really know. So, you know, the film piece, I think, can be really, really powerful. With Endwell, we started creating short, consumable pieces of video content at our conferences because we realized there was power in, in sharing these narratives of folks on stage who were famous or maybe not famous because we really wanted to reach people online and on social media, wouldn't fly out to San Francisco for a conference or maybe even had never heard of us. And I think in doing that, we realized that we could reach millions and millions of people with compelling, short videos. Some of our videos on Facebook, for example, have gone viral to 16 million people just organically. So it's been really incredible to see the power of narrative storytelling of video in particular, which we know does really well across all platforms. And so, you know, whenever we think about convening people for an event, whether it's in person or online or a hybrid, we say to ourselves, how can this conversation live on beyond just the day or that experience. And we think about it's so easy now, right, to create video content and put it out online. And of course, on social media, that we feel so strongly that with such a small lean team, we got to have this stuff live on. One of our main goals as an organization, you know, is really impact and reach and the the power of social For all the bad that it does can also do a lot of good in terms of bringing people together, creating community, creating a platform for education and awareness and really transforming, you know, how, how society views the subject matter. So we're, we're learning as we go, certainly, and uh, been really excited about. What we've been able to do so far.
1: Well, I know our time is about to wind up. I guess my last question for you would be: Is there anything we should be excited about to see from indwell in the coming months, or anything that you're doing that you're particularly anxious and, and eager to get out into the public forum?
2: Yes, thank you for asking. We're this year, you know, we're we're doing a couple of new things. We're launching a podcast in the fall. So that'll be something we've never done before, a new channel for, for content. So season one will drop fall of, of 2022 and people can listen wherever they normally listen to their podcasts. And then we're embarking on a several year media impact project. Which we're in the very early phases of, but we're we're very interested in looking at how television portrays conversations about serious illness and end of life, about caregiving, about grief and loss, and how that shapes our societal understanding of these topics. And so... I'll be able to share more very, very soon, but this is going to be a large scale project really looking at you know how television influences this, this cultural conversation. So I'm really excited about that. And then next year, we are looking at in 2023, bringing people back together, COVID willing and having a, an in-person conference, but more details to come and, and people can learn more on our website at endwellproject.org.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. And on that teaser about the TV piece, I'll be anxiously awaiting more information on that. But thank you so much, Shoshana, for your time today. It's been really wonderful as always speaking with you.
2: Lindsay, thank you so much for having me and being willing to have this conversation. You're such a great a great friend and uh, and good communicator on this front, and I, I just really appreciate it. Thanks for listening
0: to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgi. If you like today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.